0: This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show on the 5th of December. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Dave. (laughs) It is, uh, again, above normal for uh, temperatures, below normal for precipitation here as we get into December.
1: A really uh, unusual start to the winter. Uh, nice little snow made things uh, a little nice and white, but uh, as you say, we're going to melt a little bit of that over the next couple of days. I cannot recall uh, a year when we did not have a white Christmas. I don't know what's going on with the weather these days. <laughs> well, we got
0: a ways to go before Christmas. A lot could happen before then, but uh, right now we're about 15 and a half inches below the normal for snowfall.
1: Yeah, isn't that amazing? So, but that can change in a real hurry oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> but we we're kind of due for one of these winters where we had kind of an open, open soil areas and uh, frost being driven into the ground, but not too much frost yet with the warmer temperatures. But uh, uh, a little bit different than the last couple of years where we had plenty of snow early, protected a lot of the plants. We'll see if you haven't protected some of your real tender spring flowering bulbs. You put some garlic in. Um, I would get some straw hay. Bag leaves on some of those because this could be a real challenging winter for us without any snow cover. A good couple, two, three, four inches of snow on top before we get these real cold temperatures. It's the sub weather without any protection at all for plant material that concerns me somewhat, but uh, we still have a chance. We'll be warming up a little bit. We'll have that opportunity to protect uh, some of these tender uh perennial uh bulbs spring flowering bulbs garlic that type of thing uh, strawberries if you're growing strawberries or flower buds of course set up in the fall and uh, they're going to need a little bit of protection if you haven't provided that for them already gabe
0: all right you might be interested to know that this is world soil day oh, celebrating soil and uh, everything that soil does obviously uh needed for well just about everything
1: really is uh, it does start with the soil, and whether you're growing in a container in a pot or you 're out in your backyard garden, mm-hmm. uh, soils are extremely critical and of course uh we're we're fortunate uh, farming practices have changed. there was a time there as a matter of fact, way back when I had my interest, I could remember a little grade school uh i don't know if it was a third or fourth grade project but i actually did a little project on soil erosion and contour plowing and and did a little demo. uh put soil in a box and uh, ran some water down it pretty primitive stuff but wow. nonetheless at that time uh soil erosion was a huge concern washing it all down the mississippi river missouri river and uh, practices have changed uh quite a bit since then we've got a lot of uh what we call min-till or no-till plowing. You know, it used to be all moldboard where you'd plow that up and that soil would be on the surface. The wind would blow it around a lot. And then, uh, of course, any heavy downpours would carry a lot of it away, topsoil being extremely valuable, of course. Uh, that's where we grow the food that sustains the world's population. But practices have changed now, and we've got a lot of min-till. Um, matter of fact, even my own practices we are just uh, doing less and less a deep tilling and just kind of scratching the surface with chisel plows and uh, and managing it from that that perspective. So, uh, topsoil uh, extremely important. Garden mm-hmm. soil extremely important. Soils in your containers or hanging baskets can be extremely important as well. So, thanks for bringing that update. Yeah. I, I learn a lot. I learned <laughs> a lot from you every week during this program. Well, I'll tell
0: you, I was reading up on it a little bit, and it says it takes more than a thousand years to grow 0. 0.4 inches of soil it takes that long to break down whatever it is it's breaking down, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's rock, of course. We do have two different types of soils. Mm -hmm. We have both of them here in our immediate area. We've got uh, our mineral soil, which is most what people consider their backyard garden soil. and That does come originally from rock, and it takes 1,000 years to break down 0.4 inches. Is that correct?
0: (laughs) That's what it says.
1: Yes. I didn't measure it myself,
0: but that's what I read.
1: (laughs) You don't want to wash too much of that. uh, No. Down into the watershed, that's for sure, because it takes a long time coming to replace it. Wow. Those are our mineral soils. The other soils we've got are organics. We yeah. call them peat, and the uh, the basis for that was uh, one of a couple of plants. Either our sphagnum moss, which is broken down over thousands of years again there, and or, or sedge uh, plants. So we got both sedge peat and we've got moss, uh, uh, sphagnum peat in this immediate area we tend to have these two types separated. So we've got organics in one place, a peat bog, and then we got mineral soils in another, which doesn't have a lot of organic. Now we get a little bit farther south in the major agricultural areas, uh, southern Minnesota, southern Wisconsin, and nature mixed them. So we had ah. mineral soils, and then we had a lot of vegetation on top of that that broke down over thousands of years. So we have a lot of organic that has been mixed into those soils. Our soils, mineral soils, tend to be low, low in organic, and that takes us back to composting. This is why we're adding compost. The minerals, uh, the organic fraction, provides a lot of uh, physical characteristics for the soil. It tends to hold moisture in a real light, sandy soil, and it tends to open up uh, a soil that's got uh, real heavy clay content so the roots can, can expand. In addition, there's a nutrient component micro or trace nutrients as well as macronutrients that do come from that organic fraction so soils are very mm-hmm. very important and we could talk a whole lot about that but uh, <laughs> i thought maybe we'd bring into something on the holiday plants i would think so year.
0: yeah we christmas is only what three weeks away less than three weeks away now
1: yeah that's shocking to me that it seems to move along so fast mm-hmm. wasn't it just halloween we were talking about yeah, right. recently and then uh, Moved into the Thanksgiving dinner. Now we're already thinking about uh, about the holiday season.
0: Well, I'll tell you, uh, those uh, can... poinsettias or poinsettias or however you say it is—they're uh, uh, proliferating at the big box stores all around the town now.
1: Aren't they though? Holy and you know, cow. that's been
0: <laughs> big ones, yeah, little ones, multi-colored age. ones.
1: Yeah, very very interesting, and you know they really weren't part of the holiday fair until about actually the fifties. Now we had a, a family by the name of Etges out in Etchilina, uh California, and I just uh, I just happened to recall. I think it's a fascinating story. Uh, Albert Etge came from uh, Germany, and he was heading. He got tired of those, and I've had the fortune to spend some time in a, a winter in Germany. That's cold, wet place in Germany. You can see why. I think the Industrial Revolution, uh, which started with coal, trying to warm yourself up, came out of that that part of Northern Europe where they really were looking for some way to keep a little warm warmer during the winter. But um, he wanted to leave that cold climate, and so he was on his way to the South Pacific, I think Tahiti or some place like that. And uh, plane stopped in, uh, uh, or his travel stopped there in Los Angeles, and he said, "Hey, this isn't so bad." So that's where he oh. settled down, and there have been three generations, and they became, um, you notice, the the poinsettias, which that goes back, actually, that term poinsettia is from one of our ambassadors to Mexico. Hmm. Uh, The poinsettias native to Mexico and Central America, and it was Joel Poinsett who originally found them and and thought they were beautiful and brought some back into Southern California in that particular area. So hence the name uh, Poinsettia, which comes from Joel Poinsettia, Minister of Agriculture down in – or Minister of Trade, I believe it was, down in Mexico. But it was really the Etke family. Uh, He saw these plants growing uh, natively in Southern California, and he really was instrumental in, in figuring out a way to take cuttings and to grow them in a manner in which uh, they could be uh, potted up. They were kind of long, and I've seen them in the natural environment. They're kind of long, scraggly plants. They have the beautiful uh, red bracts. Now, these are not leaves, or these are modified leaves. They're not really the flowers. The flower on a poinsettia is that little uh, yellow bud in the, in the center of those bracts or modified leaves that, that change color. But they that's native to the plant itself, but they were tall, scraggy. Uh, shrubby plants, and it was really the Etke family that figured out a way to make them more compact and actually grow them in pots and containers and greenhouses, and then spread them throughout uh, first the United States mm-hmm. and then uh, throughout uh, at least Europe and, and Northern Europe. It's become an extremely popular plant yeah, in Europe, and I think they uh, they have as many poinsettias huge production in the European. Market as well, so that all started in Southern California with the Etke ranch the Etke family, and uh, they just uh, recently I believe sold out their their operation to the one that, one of the big uh, flower growers in the in the Netherlands, which is kind of a shame because they were on the forefront of doing uh. so much development, and I'm assuming they still are it's just they've become uh part of this uh, this huge multinational uh company in the process but you're right, Dave. Boy, we see a lot of uh, poinsettias <laughs> out there in, yeah. the, in the retail trade right now. They're a great gift. Lots of very interesting colors, and I get this question. The breeders are doing really a, a very good job on shapes and colors, but yeah. the natural color uh, of poinsettias are really, we start with the red, yeah. and then variations of red, which is going to be pinks, and then we've got some creams and whites that are natural. And now we've got some some oranges that are, are they're kind of subtle salmon color. I would call them. Oh, uh, there's a variety out there called Orange Glow, which is uh, which is natural. Hmm. But then we've got also these uh, uh, very vivid color. There's some very extremely bright oranges. There's purples. There's blues <laughs> out there. Yeah. Listen, folks, those are not natural. No, and they got sparkles reason.
0: on them too. And I'm guessing the sparkles are not natural.
1: <laughs> they're not natural either. No. Yeah. Uh, the blues, the purples, the real vivid oranges, and so forth. These are really a are uh, a white poinsettia or a cream color poinsettia that's been spray painted, ah. and then I think they, <laughs> and they think they drop the sprinkles on top of it. So, you uh, nonetheless, they create they create quite a dramatic effect. But those aren't really natural colors. Natural colors, red and variations of red. And we've got some striated, whites and, and reds, and then uh, some of the salmons. These are the naturally selected and breeded uh, poinsettias. But right. really a, a great uh, great holiday plant, and you've got your choice. Uh, you can go very inexpensively, and you mentioned some of the big box outlets where mm-hmm. they're just uh, cranking out lots of them, and in small containers. And then you can go to some real dramatic poinsettias that are finished in um, very large containers. Not inexpensive, but they make uh, some very, very dramatic uh, holiday uh, flowering plants as well. So there's a lot of variability out there, a lot of price, what we call price points, I guess, out there. But nonetheless, uh, it is really become a very traditional plant. It's really one of the uh, Etki sons in the 50s when television was just emerging where he introduced the uh, the poinsettia, potted poinsettias mm-hmm. uh, nationwide, and then it began to take off from there, Dave.
0: We'll take a little break here and get to, to the phones. we got a question already this morning. Hi, who's this? Uh,
2: hi, good morning. It's Cheryl from the French River area. Bob, I enjoy your show. I got well, thank one, you. I got a poinsettia last Christmas, and I did not put it outside, but it's doing well in the house. It's um, the the uh, plant is, uh, in itself is very green and very lovely, but I didn't get it to flower. Will I get it to flower if I did not put it outside this summer? That's my question.
1: Well, great question. First, uh, nice to hear from you. Um, the, what you call flowers, I'm assuming it's the red color on the it leaves. A These a red, are actually leaves. The red one that I got, yes right okay and when you say you didn't get it to flower you may have gotten it to flower but actually you didn't get the leaves to turn from green to red no, so I this yeah and that's what we're really after so we really want to get that red color and um, that is triggered by a breakdown in the chlorophyll chlorophyll is a green pigment it masks the underlying red pigments that are in these modified leaves we call bracts so what we have to do is we have to Make sure that it that the poinsettia plant itself, which you have indoors right now, and of course they're not they're very frost sensitive, so they're going to have to come indoors even if you did grow them outside. But they cannot be exposed to any type of artificial light. So you really have to find a place in a way that you can kind of match the natural decline in day length. So right now, Dave, I heard that it's getting dark. Sun setting at four four thirty now. This is uh, some of the darkest, deepest. Uh, Uh, time of the year for us Mm -hmm. but you're going to have to take that plant and you grow it out Now you grew it out inside so if the plant was healthy it was lush and green it was as it was that's that's the starting point because underneath that lush green color you're forming these carotenoids or these pink or red um, pigments that are underneath that leaf so uh, you're going to have to uh, either drop a a black plastic bag over it as the sun sets. So in other words, you cannot be exposed to anything other than that declining day length. Or you have to put it in a dark closet or a dark room. If you put it in a dark room and never flip the light switch on and you only let it get exposed to daylight during the day, but it's that decline in the day length and the amount of light that triggers the breakdown in the green pigment which exposes the red pigments. But that whole process stops if in fact you turn on a light switch in the middle of the night uh, then it stops that, that uh, chlorophyll breakdown. In other words, the green pigment stays there and it continues to mask the, uh, the underlying uh, red pigment. So you could still try that at this point. You okay. could try to uh, find a dark spot and let's try to trigger some red color that comes out of it. If it doesn't work, continue doing what you're doing. And remember, next fall, you'll grow it out again and get plenty of lush green leaves. And then next fall, you want to remember, as the day length is declining, then you've got to never expose it to any type of artificial light. As a matter of fact, uh, we've known greenhouses, in the greenhouses, get that, that, uh, those red bracts to form, they actually draw shade curtains on top of the plant. So you've got all your potted Hmm. poinsettias on the bench in the greenhouse, and they'll drag a black curtain over the top of them at sunset so they're not exposed to even moonlight or uh, street light or someone flipping the lights on in the greenhouse at night. They actually cannot let let that crop be exposed to any artificial light at all, So those shade curtains come on when the sun goes down and they come off when the sun comes up. It is a green plant. We can't just leave them dark 24 hours a day. So we have to have natural light during the day and darkness at night. And it's that the decline in the amount of available light that actually triggers uh, exposing this underlying red pigment. Okay. Kind of a long explanation. Yeah. No, I understand.
2: Here, <laughs> Thank you for your, all your suggestions, and Merry Christmas to you and everybody at nice. uh, the radio station. I enjoy the radio station very much. Thank you.
1: Thank you for the call. How nice. Okay. Yeah, how what's a— Nice, uh, nice compliment. Nice to hear from There. <laughs> how long does this
0: take, Bob, the process turning from green to red? Is she going to have it by Christmas, you figure?
1: Probably not in this situation. She's going to have to be really careful of it because what we've got going now is if she's going to, she also will want to keep it Mm. confined to the darkness a little bit longer than daybreak. Because after December twenty-first, days start getting longer, and that reverses this process. So we're a little late in starting this process, but it still can be done. But you're going to want to be sure that you kind of monitor and make sure it gets plenty of darkness, more than twelve hours. And that's gonna switch and then we gotta have light during the day. I've i told people put a black plastic bag or put it in a closet <laughs> as I just mentioned, and then they leave it there. And that isn't gonna work either no. because during the day it's a green plant, it has to be exposed to only a shortened amount of day length during the day. Dave. All right.
0: We gotta take a break and then we'll be back with another caller that's coming up right after this. And we're back with more of the Bob Bolin Show and we got another caller. Bob, hi who's this?
2: Uh, good morning. This is Marilyn from Saginaw. Go ahead, Marilyn. I have a good couple of different questions. <laughs> I have a peace plant, a big one that's like three feet high in about a twelve inch pot, and it continuously loses dyed leaves. You know, it keeps if the rest of it's healthy, it keeps bringing new ones, but there's always every few days there's another dead leaf coming off it. Does it need to be repotted? Does it need to be split or what is this problem? <laughs>
1: Well, I think are these are the are the leaves lower leaves that are falling off? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or are they yeah. throughout the plant? Lower leaves. Okay. They're,
2: they're kind of, yeah, they're yeah. kind of the lower ones down there. Yeah, and then the bigger ones, you know, up uh, are they keep right. growing the, big ones, the new above. ones. Well, yeah.
1: The good news is you're doing a lot of things right because you're still getting the new growth. The lower leaves, when they begin to fall. You know they're shaded, they're older, and they just they do begin to decline. Now it's a little bit difficult time for the plant world right now, the indoor plant world, because uh, of this day length. You know it's getting darker and darker, and uh, less and less. So you got lower leaves; they're older. There's less sunlight. There's less sunlight filtering down into those lower leaves. So those uh, chlorophyll breaks down, and uh, again they begin to fall off. I would say a couple things you could do. If you take a look at uh, the best windows, are really the southern windows for good exposure. Now, they don't want it to be hot, so you, you, maybe curtain, slightly curtain-filtered uh, southern exposure or uh, sub, southern exposure uh, where there may be a little bit of shading involved there, but more light during the day. Southern or east windows, if you can move them that direction, that's going to be helpful. The other thing is... Um, you know slightly cooler temperatures uh would be helpful, so if you had an east window in a in a bedroom or a south window in a bedroom that's being kept a little bit cooler now by that i mean uh in not fifties but I would say mid sixties or lower sixties uh that will also help uh that particular plant setting new growth and then retaining some of the old growth uh a little more humidity our houses get extremely dry, so a little bit more humidity you want to create an environment. A little bit more light, uh, a little bit more humidity, slightly lower temperatures so that this plant uh, continues to grow and set new leaves, but uh, doesn't want to shed those old leaves that are that find those conditions less than the, than the optimum. So I would try all of those things, and I think that'll help. Uh, back off, be very careful about watering. I think this time of year, plants are going to be growing slowly. They don't need near as much water. If temperatures in the house are a little cooler, uh, they less they use less water, lose less to evaporation or what we call transpiration through those leaves. So let's not overwater. Uh, make sure you've got good drainage holes there. We don't want any water ever sitting in the bottom of the pot, or we get uh, root rot, and that can cause some problems. But you're getting good growth, so that isn't bad at all. I would say be very careful. No fertility. We want to get well into January before we even start thinking about fertility as the days get a little bit longer. And this situation may self-correct if you find uh, a little bit cooler temperatures. Once we get past the 21st of December, we start getting a little bit more light, a little bit more light penetrating through all those. This situation may self-correct, but a little better light, slightly cooler daytime temperatures, and uh, then uh, if you can boost the humidity a little bit, that's all going to help. Okay. I think probably,
2: yeah. Probably the it's in a it's in a corner. It's always been in a corner with it, where it has south and west windows on both sides.
0: Okay, that but, sounds good. And but agile.
2: probably, but probably the thing that's against it, that's also where the heaters are. So it's probably getting be too much heat because that's where the the hot water heaters run along that same wall. So maybe uh, that, I see. that might be it's In the in the especially this time of year, you know, when it's when that heat is running. Yes. Yeah.
1: And you can gradually, you know, to sh- it kind of shocks the plant when it moves to another location. So if you're going to, if you've got a little better location, I think when I when I think about it, it's a little warm there, a little drier there, and I think that's probably the biggest problem. Yeah. I shift it maybe two three feet at a time, over a couple day period. If you just put it into another immediate location, sometimes that'll drop a leaves, a number of leaves for you as well. So if you can find a, a little better location. You're not doing bad. Getting the new growth.
2: Yeah, I have a couple smaller piece plants that seem to be do okay, but this big one doesn't. The other question I want to ask you: What's the best way to keep carrot tops? Or I save them after I dig my carrots up for my rabbits.
1: Oh. (laughs) Without without them molding and turning black. I cut oh, them off I and then I you. and
2: then I save them in in plastic bags with holes in them for the rabbits, and I keep them in the refrigerator. Yes. Uh, you know, they're starting to get kind of grungy and starting to some kind of mold a yes. little bit. The, some of the leaves are turning black. I don't know if there's a better way to
1: do it. Uh, the black is, is the humidity's little uh, a little high, even though those bags are perforated. We've got some. Uh, there are some uh, vegetable-saving bags that are made out of some kind of a permeable or more porous uh, fabric. So I think we've got too much humidity there. You could start, simplest thing, let's try punching a little more holes, just get a, uh, a you know a hole puncher and get some more holes in that plastic. Let's try to get a little bit more air circulation around them. You kind of have to find this happy medium because uh, yeah. typically <laughs> a refrigerator can be quite dry, and uh, you don't want them to dry out, but by the same token, you don't want them to sit on each other and get moldy from too much humidity. Yeah. So I think what I might do, you could shop around, look around a little bit for some of those vegetation-saving bags that go in the fridge. Or I would start by just getting one of these handheld uh, punches, and I'd punch a few more holes in that bag. And let's see if we can't reduce humidity a little bit and give that a try. That's the least expensive way to mm. To try that, uh, your your rabbits are pretty uh, fortunate. They're getting some pretty high quality uh, feed there.
2: Oh yeah, and they get you they get good... about half a dozen vegetables twice a day too. Wow, very
1: good. <laughs> I, I was not aware of this, but I have a friend that just lettuce loves and green pet pepper rabbit.
2: and and yeah. yeah and um and lettuce and green pepper and cilantro and uh, wow uh, different things. Yeah, yeah.
0: Are these domestic rabbits but or wild rabbits you're saying?
2: Yes. No they're, no they're two domestics. Two domestic too okay. domestic.
1: Gotcha. domestic, yes. All right, good. <laughs> and I was not aware of this, but uh you know, in terms of house pets, dogs number one, cats number two, rabbits are number three. Wow. So I was I was startled that there are that many and I guess uh you now correct me if I'm wrong, they're they're pretty affectionate, lovable creatures, are they not?
2: Yeah, they don't like to be held. They they like to be okay. petted, but they they do not like to be picked up and held. Ah. Um, but
1: that and, and maybe enjoyed.
2: maybe maybe yeah, maybe if you get them. I got these as adults, so or maybe if you get them as a baby, it's different. But ah. we had one as a baby one time too, and yeah, they don't like to be carried and held, but they'll sit there and let you pet them forever and ever.
0: <laughs> Can you put them on a leash and take them for a walk?
2: <laughs> Some have been trained like that. I have never done it, but okay. I know that they do do it. Yeah, when you get to start with them young.
0: Okay. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the information. Okay. Appreciate it. Bob will take another break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show, nine forty four now at KDAL. Sure. And we are back more of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, uh, it's not just poinsettias that are available for uh, Christmas gift giving, I guess. It's indoor plants. There's a bunch of other plants out there too.
1: There are. There are a lot of really great holiday plants, I mm-hmm. think, of the cactus family. Ah. But I take you back to the Poinsettias again. Sure. Uh real real quickly uh they're great gift plants they're very durable they can actually last for years we had to call her there that was very successful getting the plant to grow out if you get a nice lush green plant good southern window they are however um, you know they like it warm uh they're not unlike some of our other house plants they recommended there with the peace plant slightly cooler time temperatures uh the that as long as there's adequate light they like it warmer so we're looking at uh, the 70 degree range but if you buy one for gift, any place, even when you think it's a warm, mild day, like we got 37, 40, 45 degrees, whatever is going to come over the next several days. Uh, if you're going to buy them, make sure they're protected when they leave the store. They're in this nice, warm environment. Uh, they've been well cared for. Uh, get a plastic wrap over the top. Uh, don't think, well, my car's only only, um, you know, uh, 100 steps away. It won't cause any damage. The colder it gets, uh, the more vulnerable they become. So... Uh, cover them up with good poly. The other thing, uh, so many of these plants come in plastic containers. They have very light soil, peat petalbite soil, mm-hmm. which is uh, leads me to think a little bit about here. This is the Day of the Soil, is it? Is that what we're commemor- commemorating? Yeah,
0: International Day what? of
1: Soil, yeah. There we go, International Day of Soil. Or World Soil uh, Day, I guess they're called. <laughs> World Soil Day, okay. Uh, the soils that these are going to be grown in, they're very light. They're peat peat-based. Which, with some amendments, it's basically sphagnum peat moss, very light, disease-free, a good growing medium. As long as you flush uh, nutrients through that medium, there's not a lot of nutrition there, but um, uh, they will soil or water runs through them very quickly. So many of these, particularly the least expensive uh, poinsettia plants, are. in plastic pots Uh, oftentimes there's a foil wrap on the outside so there may be drainage holes in the bottom of the pot but with that foil you hold onto the water so uh, that that moisture runs right through the upper layer of the plant when you water it and then it sits down there you get an inch or two of moisture in the bottom and you rot the uh rot the roots so the one thing you want to do if you're going to either for yourself or give it away if it's got a foil wrap let's perforate the soil. Take that wrap off. Make sure there's drainage holes because this soil is so light, we want that water to rain, drain through. Uh, be careful. Don't overwater. Even if you've got the holes, you've got a saucer underneath, you don't want that saucer to fill up with water because, once again, that water's backing up, and then we rot the roots off. So I would say good light, warmer conditions. Uh, they don't really like a, a lot of hot Drafty conditions, so not in front of a uh, furnace outlet or something like that, and then be a little careful. Let's not overwater them. But if you're a little careful about them, when the danger of frost is past, you can move them out, good sunny exposure. Uh, they grow extremely well. Don't even have to take them out of the pot. Just leave them in the pot. Then you're going to have to bring them in, of course, when there's the threat of frost in the fall, and then to get them to color up because they're going to grow beautifully during the uh, during the growing season, lush green plant is what you want. Plenty of good growth. You can apply fertility, uh, water soluble again, so you're going to use a water soluble fertilizer. And particularly, these least expensive, less expensive plants are in these peat soils. They've got to have fertility. You can grow them out, bring them in, just make sure that you follow the natural rhythm of the season and make sure they don't get any additional artificial light. Uh, during the evening, and those bracts will color up beautifully for you. They can last for years, actually. I've got several that are <laughs> just fun to grow. I can't throw them out, so uh, well, I just keep growing them on. They get a little long and scraggly. I just say, do they, they get bigger day. as you
0: go along? Do you have to the bottom or something?
1: Yeah, you will have to because, okay. again, they're naturally, uh, they want to grow to kind of a shrub-like form. Over time, they get a little more scraggly, mm-hmm. uh, but nonetheless, uh, you can keep them for years and years. And oh. I like to move them out and bring them in and uh, have a little fun with them and try to bring those bracts into color. And uh, so they're a gift that we'll keep right on giving. As but long as you take care questions of them. <laughs> Yeah, as long as you right. take care of it. Yeah, you, you have to have a love for these types of things, right. of course, because it does take a little attention. It takes some attention when you're busy doing lots of other things, So, <laughs> nonetheless. But uh, uh, they are fun, fun for kids. Uh, you can take cuttings from them. You can have uh, just a real good time with them. But, again, warm season plant. Uh, we don't want those roots too wet. And uh, not too drafty, but warm and and good sun, so you want to find a good location for them as well. Just a little care instructions if you're going to give them away to people. Uh, I think no one will ever be disappointed getting a holiday plant, Dave.
0: Now, how about these cactus plants? Do they uh, last forever as well if you take care of them?
1: You know, the cacti, (laughs) what we'll call the Christmas cacti, the holiday cacti, Thanksgiving, Christmas, as well as Easter cacti, uh, they will last a very, very long time. They uh-huh. are very durable. As a matter of fact, I would consider them in family heirlooms. Uh, I've got some that my mother grew out that are, wow. oh, 50 years old probably. And I had a friend that had one that we let it, put it outside during the uh, summer months. Got to be very careful there. You don't want direct sun. These are different kinds of plants. Uh, the, the Thanksgiving cacti and the Christmas cacti. Uh, these are different. Where the, the uh, poinsettia, we're talking about coloring leaves. In the case of a Thanksgiving cactus or a Christmas cactus, uh, these are not leaves. They do not have leaves. These are flattened stems that you're looking at there. A stem will actually produce buds, so the flower buds come off the stem, and uh, they, don't, uh, they do not really set any leaves at all. So they're a little bit different. Uh, they grow... came out of uh, Brazil, out of the tropical rainforest in the mountains, uh, the southeastern part of Brazil. Uh, They're considered a a cacti. They're in the cacti family, but they're different than desert cacti. But these nice thick leaves or nice thick stems that are in the Thanksgiving cacti are there because they conserve water. Because even though they're in a, uh, a tropical situation, most of them grow either up on trees or on rocky ledges. And they don't really grow well in the soil, so they have to conserve their moisture. They would get, if they were up in the trees, uh, they would get moisture from the very high humidity. They would get the occasional rainstorm, and then they had to conserve the moisture that they had, hence the real thick leaves, so you don't lose a lot of water to transfer, transpiration there. So once again, with these plants, very durable, very long-lived. Wow. They don't need to be repotted uh Matter of fact, they don't really like to be repotted. They like <laughs> to be uh, pot bound. Uh, they will grow relatively slowly. They, they'll they work on the north side of the house where we're talking about uh, the poinsettia on the south side. They want plenty of sun. The Thanksgiving and the Christmas cacti really like to be on the north side. And uh, they like it a little bit shadier. So they're really good for a low light uh, situation. Once again... To get them to bloom, first you got to have a plant that's grown out quite a bit, quite a bit, so you want uh, a good green plant there. And to get these to bloom, again, you don't have to be quite as sensitive about the, the day length, but we like to have what we call uh, temperature diff, differential between day and nighttime temperatures. So you really have to have a, a regimen where your warming's up during the day, or your daytime temperatures are again maybe 65 to 70 you got to find a location where those, those temperatures drop down into the lower 60s or maybe the upper 50s. So it's temperature differential that ultimately triggers the bloom. I get questions from people, why doesn't my Christmas cactus bloom any longer? And oftentimes it can be one of two things. Either that plant hasn't grown well during the growing season, which is when there's plenty of light, because once again, bloom comes from extra carbohydrates or photosynthates that are, are being produced during the growing season, so either the plant didn't grow well enough during the growing season when there was lots of light or we don't have this temperature differential warmer during the the uh, sunlit hours of the day and down into the lower 60s or 50s at night.
0: So you might have to bundle up a little bit at night if you turn the heat down, but it's good for the plant. Yeah,
1: right. Or, or find, a, find a room that's a little cooler. <laughs> oh, if there you, you go. <laughs> a little bit cooler. And I understand that the sleeping cooler night's good for us as well. Yes. <laughs> so we pointed that out that uh, pull on an extra blanket, turn down the thermostat a little bit, and <laughs> uh uh sleep a little cooler. That's also good for your Thanksgiving and Christmas cactus. People ask what's the difference between the two? And um, you know, they're pretty easy to tell apart. The uh, the Thanksgiving cactus, they obviously bloom earlier. They got claws on them. As a matter of fact, the uh the actual species name is Truncata Slumberger. Sombrerera truncata from these claw-like leaves, so they're huh. very. Easy. You can you can look in the store if it's got claws on it, it's a Thanksgiving cactus. More breeding work has actually been done with the colors there, so Thanksgiving cacti can be white, they can be orange, they can be magenta. magenta. Uh, there's a great deal of color variability. These plants actually have been crossbred for uh, centuries. Actually, they were discovered and uh, again down in the Brazilian. Uh, Uh, tropical forests, and uh, they were discovered by the early uh, Spanish Conquistadors and brought back to Europe, and the breeding program started there And in the 1800s. So there's been kind of a recent renaissance, I would say, where the breeders, again, have have selected for many, many additional colors. But there's lots of colors. If it's got a claw-like leaf, it's a Thanksgiving cacti, they typically will bloom a little bit earlier. The Christmas cacti have got a rounder leaf, And uh, they will bloom bloom a little bit later, around the Christmas period. And then the Easter cacti have a long, elongated leaf. You can think of a Christmas cactus stem, not leaf, but those stems which are flattened. And uh, they're much longer, so they're two or three inches in length. But again, they're round. But the one that's got the claws is the Thanksgiving cacti, and that's the one that's most common. They're, again, in a lot of retail outlets. Uh, they make mm-hmm. wonderful gifts for the holiday season. You're being invited over somewhere, and just bringing a uh, Thanksgiving or a Christmas cacti along as a house gift nice. is really a great idea there, Dave. How long do they uh, bloom for, Bob? Well, the bloom, again, that depends on your your daytime temperatures. Oh, okay. If you've got a little cooler house, uh, they'll bloom for long periods of time, mm-hmm. and if not, uh, the bloom falls off. So. Uh, You know, they're not long-lived, but certainly uh, they're magnificent, and maybe uh, up to two weeks, I would say, you can retain those blooms. And like you said, they're they're good for years and
0: years, so every year they're going to bloom again.
1: Yes, if everything works right, (laughs) and then, of course, the lights get different, fertility gets Uh, different, watering patterns get different, and the bloom actually gets a little different as well. So all of these factors for the commercial producers that are doing, they're doing this in greenhouses, they're regulating all the light, all the temperature, all the fertility, because they actually want them in bloom when they set them out. What you'll find in the stores right now is you'll find blooming Thanksgiving cactus, right. blooming Christmas cactus. Uh, they really have to bloom. It's a bloom that sells the plant. So the commercial folks, they're all raised in greenhouses, they're all potted, and they manage all the light, all the temperature, all the watering, all the fertility. And they've got that down to a science down. so they definitely will bloom right on schedule right around uh, the holiday time.
0: All right. Bob, as usual, thank you for the info. And uh, next week, I guess we can touch on trees again. You got your tree up yet?
1: Uh, not quite yet. You know, I'm <laughs> okay. a little bit, I, I get a little late started, yeah. uh, but I'll get it up certainly before Christmas, and then I let it go a little longer. <laughs> Other people, you know, they get them up early, right yeah. after Thanksgiving, and then they take them down the day after Christmas. So everybody's got a little different habits, uh, and doing. but it's all fun regardless yeah. how you do it, Dave.
0: Bob, as always, thanks. We'll catch you again next Tuesday for The Bob Olin Show.